Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Hillary. And this is the Probably Not Lupus podcast. Season two. We are back to discuss more medical mysteries and rare, strange, or unusual case studies. These are based on mostly true stories collected from our friends, medical history, journals, and fellow doctors. To protect privacy, names, dates, and locations may have been altered. Get ready for your medical mystery bolus. Probably Not Lupus is a show about our favorite medical mysteries. Nothing the hosts say should be taken for medical advice or opinion. We are not experts, nor are we journalists. It's just for fun. So enjoy. Tracy was 40 years old when she first noticed a raised, bumpy area on her forehead just above her eyebrow. After the lesion didn't resolve on its own, she saw a dermatologist for further evaluation. For 10 years, Tracy was treated with an ablative therapy where the dermatologist would burn these lesions off. Although she was never given a formal diagnosis, the dermatologist believed that they were warts and removed them as required. This treatment left scars and the lesions kept returning. Then, on a chest x-ray, unrelated to her lesions, her doctors found her diagnosis. Find out what caused Tracy's skin and lung findings on the Probably Not Lupus podcast. Welcome back to episode 18 of the Probably Not Lupus podcast. I cannot believe we are almost done season two. Me neither. I have no idea. Only two more episodes left, and then we are going to take our longest break yet until the new year, January 2022. The exact date is still TBD, but if you're subscribed to our show, wherever you listen to your podcasts, you won't miss it. We also have a website if you want to check back there too. We'll post updates there and we'll update you in the next two weeks too. Once we come up with a date and our season three schedule. Yeah. Last week was a really well-performing episode. Not only was it a pleasure to have our guest and Paralympian Danielle Kisser, it was so inspiring so we can understand why you listeners love it so much. If you haven't already, we suggest you go back to episode 17 on achondroplasia to get inspired and learn something new. And to all of our new listeners who came over from Danielle's Instagram, welcome. We hope you learn something else new here as well. Yes, the episodes where we have guests definitely perform better and get more listens. And I think it's more than just there's a wider audience because our guests are promoting the show as well. I personally just really appreciate everyone who comes to share their own experience with us because it makes the rare, strange, and unusual things that we chat about more memorable. I have good news on that note too, that both this episode and the next episode are also going to have guests. So stay tuned for those. Let's get into some background on our case today so that we can welcome our guest. Today, we're going to be talking about sarcoidosis, which is a disorder that causes clusters of abnormal tissue to form in the body. These clusters are known as granulomas in medicine, and if a lot of granulomas form in an organ, that organ may not function normally. So for example, if granulomas form in the lungs, it can cause breathing problems. And when I was still in naturopathic medical school learning about different pathologies, I used to consider sarcoidosis to be the quote, lupus of the lungs, end quote, because it can affect so many different organs and have a wide range of seemingly random presenting symptoms, 
much like lupus does. However, lupus doesn't generally present with breathing problems at first, whereas sarcoidosis does. So that's how I kind of came up with that idea of, oh, if you have vague, nonspecific symptoms and you're thinking lupus, but there's lung involvement, think sarcoidosis. That's a really good way of remembering it. Thank you. You can use that. Keep that in your back pocket for your clinical exams. I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, sarcoidosis, as I mentioned, often does affect the lungs and it can also affect other organs as well. And the next most common place is the skin, but it can also affect things like lymph nodes, the eyes, nose, heart, kidney, liver, lots of other body parts too. And despite an extensive research effort, the exact cause of sarcoidosis still remains unknown. According to one widely held hypothesis, there are probably multiple causes of sarcoidosis and different patterns of illness may be in part related to the different underlying causes. So one theory suggests it develops when someone who maybe who is already genetically susceptible is exposed to a specific environmental agent or trigger. And although whatever that specific trigger is are mostly unknown, there are several organisms like some viruses and bacteria that have been suggested as possible causes. And there are also maybe even some non-infectious environmental things like beryllium, aluminum, and zinc. But these can also cause lung disease that have features that are similar to sarcoidosis. So it may not be possible to differentiate between the two. And so maybe there's a case of there being like a misdiagnosis where someone thinks it's sarcoidosis, but it's really an environmental exposure or vice versa. Now, sarcoidosis is a condition that affects individuals worldwide. And the prevalence varies greatly depending on where in the world we're talking about. So overall worldwide, it's about 50 to 150 people in hundred thousand. But here in North America, the incidence is around seven to 10 people per 100,000. Now it generally affects young adults between the ages of 20 and 40. And it initially presents with one or more of the following. And generally it's picked up on a chest X-ray. So the first two findings, uh, bilateral hilar adenopathy, also known as enlargement of the lymph nodes in the area where the lungs are connected to the heart and windpipe and reticular opacities, which are findings again on a chest X-ray that show infiltrates in the lungs with fibrosis or thickening. Those are often the first symptoms that lead to diagnosis, but there are other presenting symptoms too, like skin lesions, joint issues, and or eye concerns that can also indicate a diagnosis of sarcoidosis might be necessary. Now, although this disease is commonly seen in young adults, one interesting thing that I found is that the age of diagnosing sarcoidosis has increased steadily over the past 75 years. And it's increased so much so that now more than half of the cases that are diagnosed are happening over the age of 40. Now, women also tend to be older at the age when they develop sarcoidosis. And again, I don't have a reason to explain why this is happening, but it's just interesting to see this trend change over time. So I already mentioned some of the presenting symptoms that you might find to indicate sarcoidosis, but let's get into some more of the specific signs and symptoms. Depending on which part of the body it affects, sarcoidosis causes different symptoms. Often they are mild and go away on their own, but occasionally they can be severe and require immediate attention. So when sarcoidosis affects the lungs, it can cause cough, trouble breathing, chest pain, tiredness or weakness fever, which is interesting and why some autoimmune conditions cause fever is not totally clear, 
but can make diagnosis all the more complicated as you might get tricked into thinking it is of infectious origin. Weight loss, yet another nonspecific symptom that we love so much on this podcast. And again, sarcoidosis can present differently and to varying severity in individuals, so it can be easily missed. When sarcoidosis affects the skin, which is second most common after the lungs, it can cause mild rash or painful bumps. Sometimes the rash and bumps go away completely, and other times they can leave a scar behind. Interesting to note that patients with more severe disease states that involve the internal organs often also have more severe skin lesions. Another common skin finding is erythema nodosum, characterized as red, painful, coin-sized lumps, most often located on the shins. These red, painful bumps are ultimately just inflammation of subcutaneous fat tissue. When sarcoidosis affects the eyes, it can cause inflammation of different structures like the iris, retina, or cornea. So this is going to appear to the patient as eye pain or redness, dry eyes, blurred vision, seeing floaters, as well as swelling around the eye. If it's left untreated, late complications of sarcoidosis can lead to glaucoma, cataracts, and potentially even blindness. Because of this serious consequence and that some sarcoidosis-related eye problems do not cause symptoms, it is important that all patients with sarcoidosis have an annual eye evaluation or sometimes more frequently that includes an eye examination while the pupils are dilated so that they can view the structure in the back of the eye. On that same note, sometimes sarcoidosis causes no symptoms, even though it is damaging certain internal organs. For this reason, People with sarcoidosis might need to have tests to check on organ damage, often affecting the liver, spleen, kidneys, and heart. So there's no single test that can tell you whether you have sarcoidosis or not. It is a diagnosis of exclusion. So to diagnose it, healthcare practitioners look at your symptoms in your physical exam. The purpose of this initial evaluation is to obtain additional data supporting the diagnosis of sarcoidosis while also eliminating alternative diagnoses that characterize the severity of pulmonary impairment or how it affects your lungs and identify extra pulmonary organ involvement that may be amenable to biopsy or require immediate therapy. So Hillary, what do, what can patients do to treat this? Yeah, I think a lot of times when people get diagnosed with a chronic disease like this, that has varying degrees of illness. Some people really only have a mild illness and other people can be quite severely impaired. Patients will often ask, is there anything I can do to feel better? And the answer is yes. And there are a few things you can do to help in the beginning. For instance, a big one would be if you smoke, stop or reduce smoking. Even though smoking itself doesn't cause sarcoidosis, it can make your breathing worse. Another thing your doctor might recommend is to get the flu vaccine every year or to talk to your doctor about whether or not you should have the pneumonia vaccine too. Because again, if this is a condition that's affecting the lungs, we want to make sure that you're protected against other diseases that might affect the lungs. And you're going to want to get regular checkups with your doctor and see an eye doctor every year for an exam, maybe even sooner if recommended. Because again, as we mentioned, some people don't have any symptoms at all, but that doesn't mean that damage isn't being done internally to some of their organs. Sarcoidosis does usually go away on its own or it doesn't get worse. Most people with sarcoidosis can live a normal life. Sometimes it does get worse and it might need treatment off and on. And some people might even need to take medicine for several years, but it is rare for sarcoidosis to cause permanent organ damage and very rare for a person to die from sarcoidosis. 
The main conventional treatment that you're going to see out there are steroids like prednisone. And these can be taken orally, or they can even be applied topically in creams or lotions for some of the skin manifestations. They can be applied as eye drops for some of the eye findings, and they can even be inhaled through puffers for some of the lung findings. Now, after that brilliant background on sarcoidosis, let's bring it into the real world with a wonderful guest. Emma, would you like to do a little introduction? Yeah. So today we are so thrilled to have another fabulous guest on our show. Her name is Tracy Nolay. And I heard about her story as she is one of my good friend's mothers. And she agreed to come on the show and talk about her personal experience through sarcoidosis, the whole journey, as well as the long time before she got a diagnosis. So we are thrilled to have her here and welcome to the show, Tracy. All right. Well, let's take a little break. And when we come back, we'll have our interview with Tracy and talk more about sarcoidosis. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Let's get into our interview. We are here with our guest today. Can you please introduce yourself and your personal pronouns? My name is Tracy Nolay and I go by Hershey. So Tracy, uh, today our episode is obviously on sarcoidosis, which we know you have. And we're going to start this off by asking you, when did you first notice that something was off? I had a type of raised bumpy area on my forehead uh, just above my eyebrow um probably starting around 2000 and I was trying to think maybe six or seven and I was referred to a dermatologist and uh he he kept, didn't think he didn't say it was sarcoidosis so it probably started then and we went through a series of very unnecessary treatments up until 2015 so for a decade I was literally being mistreated for it which resulted in a ton of scarring and because they were burning the sores off my face. Wow and then so did they give you any diagnoses? No he he kept thinking it was warts or he, he never actually gave me a diagnosis of what he was. He just kept saying, oh, we need to burn that off. And so I'd go every X number of months. And in fact, the last time I went, he said, well, this isn't working. You're going to have to start paying to come. And I'm like, why in the world would I pay for a treatment that isn't working? <laughs> so I went back to my GP and said, uh, I need a referral to somebody different. Um, and that took a year and a half, it took a year and a half to get to another skin, uh, to another dermatologist. And in the interim, I had a bad fall and I broke eight ribs and I was hospitalized, obviously. And, um, they came back into the emergency room, into my bedroom. And they said, um, uh, the good news is you have eight ribs, eight broken ribs, maybe more. The bad news is we found some spots in your lungs um, when they were doing all the testing. And I was like, oh, then they, I had to go through biopsy and all that stuff. And I, by the time I got healed enough that I could lay on a table to have more diagnostic exams, because after the ribs, I couldn't lay on my back for a long time. Uh, I got it biopsied 
And, and then I went to the respirologist and he said, it's not cancer. You have something called sarcoidosis. And I was like, Oh, what, what is this? And I, I still really honestly didn't really understand it after his explanation. He said, um, well, it's like you've got little nodules in your, in your upper respiratory airways. And, um, um, it's like having like an infection that doesn't fully clear out and it's, they just stay there and they're not, they're not going to cause you any trouble and they might go away one day and they might not, and they might get worse and they might not. And that was literally his explanation and, um, no, uh, offense to him, but his bedside manner wasn't fantastic. And he was hundred years old and I was like, okay, sure, whatever. And I left there and surprisingly enough, the referral to that new dermatologist was that day. And so I left his appointment and went to her appointment and she was, she was a rock star. I loved her. Um, and I walked in, she looked, took one look at me. She goes, you've got sarcoidosis. And I was like, completely taken aback. And I'm like, well, you'd be the second person to tell me that in the last hour. And I had been going for a decade to that other doctor. And I can't help but think, if we had known I had sarcoidosis a de decade before, what preventative methods I could have taken to not have it be in my lungs today. Now I have to, I go for breathing tests. I have to have my heart checked regularly. I have to go to get my eyes checked every three months. Um, I do get outbreaks on my face, but since I've uh, seen a naturopathic doctor, we are managing it and I've had a significant improvement. And then I've, of course I get my lungs I guess I get an x-ray on my lungs every year. So I have these annual tests where I go because it can affect your other organs. Right. Yeah. And in those 10 years, when you first were seeing that initial dermatologist who didn't really give you a diagnosis, did you have any other symptoms or it was just the skin? I did. Well, I mean, even when I had it in my lungs, I had, I was still living a very active life. I was, I had just come in 2013. I played in the world Masters soccer tournament in England. Like I, I was still living a very active life. So I didn't notice it affecting me internally if it was causing me any trouble in my lungs, but um, it must have been because once I started to improve, like I knew I was having improvement from um, my annual tests after I'd started seeing a, uh, the, the naturopathic doctor, um, uh, it was easier to do everything. So I was like, oh, maybe it, maybe it was affecting me and I had no idea. Yeah, so I, I, I guess I can't really answer that because I didn't really know, right? But I, I can say that last November, after one year of following the regime I'd been on, um, my GP, who was retiring, phoned me to say, I never get to make this phone call. So I'm going to, I'm making it as my last official thing. I just got your chest x-ray back and your lungs are clear. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And she said, like, I never get to make this phone call with people with sarcoidosis. And I said, well, this is what I did over the last year. And and here we are today. So, wow, that's amazing. I, she must have been so happy. She was. She was. It was her last. She's she's um, been my doctor for a long time. So it was her last official thing. And she was pretty happy that that she's like she said, it's not something like I, the sores on my face were always significant, like right here and here and down the inside of my, like above my eyebrow, podcast, sorry, above my eyebrow and down the inside of my eyes, like along the edge of my nose, they were very pronounced and quite significant. And I have none of that now. 
And what did those look like? Were they, like you say, sores? Can you describe them a little more? It's slightly raised, a little bit discolored, almost sometimes looked flaky. They looked like flat, elongated growths is what I would call them. Yeah. Interesting. What treatments have you found helpful through naturopathic medicine? Well, I didn't obviously pursue that at the time of my diagnosis. I did the literally the rounds of specialists every three months. I had more tests. I see an eye doctor every three months. So I seem most concerned about my eyes. Um, and in fact, I have to go for an eye procedure next month because the pressure in my eye is building up. Um, but he doesn't see any sarcoids in my eyes, but he wants to do what he called a dusting just to be preventative. I didn't really do anything different. I just, I took hydroxychloroquine since the, well, we started with cortisone shots. Actually, the new dermatologist would inject cortisone into my source and definitely gave it a marked improvement and did remove the ones on my nose. Those went away with the cortisone shots. Um, the ones on my um, eyebrows lasted a little longer. Um, and so because there wasn't any movement with those, uh, she decided to put me on the Plaquenil and I have been on it ever since. And that's one of the reasons why I have to see the eye doctor regularly, because when you're on that, it's, I don't know, not good for you. It's like a twofer. The sarcoidosis is not good for the eyes and the medication is not good for the eyes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, then I, um, I have obviously my daughter's going to naturopathic medical school and, um, she suggested that I see an instructor from the school. And so I did go to see her. Uh, because I actually hadn't been really open to doing anything other than what I was doing because see, I see it seemed to be working until uh, just before just I'd say maybe a year and a half ago two years ago I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis as well and the rheumatoid doctor told me once you have one autoimmune you'll probably get another and so then I was like, oh, here we go. This is, this is, not, this is not, now I'm no longer interested in treating it just because now I want it gone. The, so the little dangled carrot of it could go away or it could go into remission. Okay. How, how am I going to make that happen? I went to see a doctor in Port Moody and um, she also a rock star. I've been very fortunate with the doctors I have both mainstream medicine and the naturopathic medicine rock star and uh so she had me eliminate gluten i also because i had some digestive issues so we figured we'd deal with it all at the same time uh, eliminate gluten eliminate corn a few food items and then the big one was dairy she's like gluten and dairy are inflammatory you're gonna have to get rid of them both and so i won't lie i'd seen a colon doctor a number of years before she had said no dairy and then the rumor then i think my gp or the respirologist at some point had said no dairy and then i think my gp had said no dairy and this was like the fourth doctor to tell me no dairy i'm like okay then i'll cut out the cheese <laughs> fine <laughs> Yeah, fine if I have to. Uh, so luckily for me, my daughter's gluten-free and vegan. So it makes eating a little bit easy. I think I could understand that could be a big struggle for people. It's really hard to, uh, especially if you're a mom cooking for a family, to uh, change the way you eat. Um, so I cook two different things every night. I have an adaptation to the main meal each night for the carnivore men in my house and then the other two of us. But um, yeah, a, a year of diligently, like diligently doing it. Um, a year later, my 
spots in my lungs were gone. So I am just about to have my follow-up x-ray for this year. I go next week. Um, I have not, COVID was not my best friend for habit, healthy habits. So I, I'm nothing, I haven't had any reoccurrence on my face. So that keeps me optimistic. Um, so I'm anxious to see if my chest is still clear. You'll have to keep us updated because now we're anxious to hear the same result. <laughs> well, I'm a wolf, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers and toes crossed. Yeah. It hasn't been that hard to make those changes. Yeah, I get up every day and I say, and, I, and I'm not that great at it, but I try really hard with the positive affirmation of, I have an option. I'm in control of this. I have an option to live the life that it requires to. There are people who don't have options. So I have an option. And, you know, these, this is a positive thing that I have. I have these healthy options for eating. So I, I try to live by those words. And dietary changes are actually probably some of the hardest for most patients. So I don't know if I could have been as successful if I didn't live with a vegan. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's hard to, to, to keep, to come up with, if I, and cause she's exposed me to so many other food products I would never have even considered. Well, and it's also wonderful for other people out there who have been told, you know, you need to cut out gluten, you need to cut out dairy that sure. Okay. Maybe you don't see the results right away. Like you're not going to feel better the next day after you stopped eating gluten or dairy, but a year later, when you look back at your condition and you look back at your wellness, you might be surprised at what you find. Yes. Yes. And I mean, that obviously happened to me. I was like, I, that, my doctor actually called me on my birthday and I was like, wow, this is the best present ever. I'm really anxious to see what this year brings. Well, we sure hope that it brings nothing but more good news and that you are completely in remission and don't have to deal with it again. Yeah. Now if we could just reverse aging altogether, it'd be excellent. Ooh, the future <laughs> of medicine. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Wow. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you did the conventional medicine and you added on the naturopathic medicine on top and you got amazing improvements. That's so inspiring for people to hear. And, you know, when I saw the naturopathic doctor, she still uh, prescribed, I, I'm on another drug too, no, low dose naltrexone. She prescribed that. So when I went back, so it's not like she just, it was just like cut out food and take a couple vitamins and she did prescribe the low dose naltrexone too. So it was a combination of, of both when I went to see her. Um, and when I went to see the rheumatoid doctor the next time and I said, oh, I'm on this now because I saw a naturopathic doctor. She was like, well, I could have prescribed that for you. <laughs> so almost like she beat me to the punch. <laughs> yeah. You identified something interesting about British Columbia in that as far as naturopathic medicine scope of practice goes, we have quite a wide scope of practice here. We have prescriptive authority and we have lab rights where we can order labs for patients and we do work as primary care practitioners. Yes. I'm super happy that she was able to do that because that actually gave me quite a bit of relief for the arthritis quite, quite quickly. Right. And that was through your primary care right away while you waited, you know, like you mentioned, like a year and a half to see a specialist, yes. right? Wow. Yeah. For all those specialists, I waited a long time to see, see all those specialists. Yeah. Like the, the dermatologist in particular was a long time. Wow. Well, I'm so glad that that doctor was able to fill in the gaps for you and get you some relief while you waited to see the specialist. And then even better that the specialist agreed with the treatment. Yes. Yeah. It's always nice sure. when those things all align together. Yes. Like I say, I think the listeners prefer it when it comes 
from a story from a real person, because that helps you, you know, make it personal and understand and remember, it's not just us telling you facts about a condition. They get to hear from you, a real person about how that affected you and what the diagnosis looked like and what treatment was and the challenges that came up and how you overcame them and how you turned out better in the end. And so that's really inspirational and motivational for our listeners. So thank you for taking the time to do this. Yes. Thank you so much. You are welcome. I wish there was more information out there. There's not much out there. So you don't, you, you Google it and you see horrific pictures of sarcoidosis and I'm like, whoa, okay, this is not good. What do I, what am I going to do? Yeah. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We have loved hearing your story and yeah, we just thank you. And I think everyone's going to really enjoy listening to this. Awesome. I'm happy to help. Wow. That was yet another inspirational and motivational interview we had today. Yeah, it was great to hear from another guest. And like you said in the intro, I think personal experience outweighs all. And you and I can sit here and chat back and forth till we're blue in the face. However, it's just really nice to have some fresh faces and hear someone who's really, truly experienced what we're talking about. Definitely. Now, we want everyone to stay tuned for next week, where we welcome back a guest from way back in episode number two. Evan Kalbick, who suffered a rare type of stroke while out for a run at age 35. Now, if you haven't already listened to this episode, we highly recommend you check it out before next week's episode, where we follow up with Evan and expand beyond the physical. This time, we're going to get into the mental and emotional cost of disease. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to support our show, you can subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe even give us a rating and leave us a comment. Probably Not Lupus is written, recorded, edited, and produced by us alone, still in our bedrooms. If you want to chat with us, you can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Gmail at Probably Not Lupus.